Hey there. As a part of my advocacy work for the families of 1981 Texas murder victims, Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus, I've been very lucky to spend some special times with both of their families on our quest to get answers and justice, as well as to locate Dean and Tina's daughter, Holly. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Christopher Casasanta, Dean Klaus's baby brother. I got to know Chris in March when we all visited Houston, Texas as a part of their healing journey. The Family History Detectives podcast is a behind the scenes look at the investigative use of genealogy and genetic genealogy to solve mysteries. From stolen babies to unidentified remains to catching murderers, genealogy is becoming one of the best forensic tools available for shining a light on previously hidden truths. You know, I get a question a lot on the Facebook page about why y'all have different last names. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, it's Chris, Cassisana. The reason that we have different names, my mother was previously married. When his father passed, she married my father. So I'm really a half-brother to Dean, but we never considered it half, you know? Yeah, we don't in my family either. I don't call my kids half-brothers and sisters to each other. Yeah, we just don't do that. Yeah, y'all are close. I can tell. He did a lot with me when I was nine or ten years younger than him. So I was only nine when, you know, at his disappearance. So I remember a lot of things that, you know, he did with us. Well, talk about some of that. Tell us what your some of your memories are of Dean. I don't know. Probably the fondest memory I had. A, I don't know if anyone knows what a green machine is. It's a plastic... <laughs> like big wheel instead of handlebars it has like levers that you turn and he would tie a rope to that thing and pull me around and sling me all around the yard in it <laughs> it was quite fun actually yeah how old were you when y'all did that seven and eight probably eight years old for sure so when we were all in houston together you and les were recalling some things y'all used to do with dean the three of y'all can you remind me about that story we used to hike a lot and we would just go out and explore you know sometimes build forts or whatever but mostly just hiking around checking things out and there was a time where we came to this pretty big ditch that we had to cross and uh of course i was a lot smaller so they came up with this idea they were going to throw me across (laughs) (laughs) of course when they went to throw me i guess you know i think i grabbed on didn't quite let go and I ended up in the mud. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that part. I remember they threw you over something, but I didn't know you landed in the mud. Yeah, it was, well, it was a ditch they were trying to throw me across, but I didn't quite make it. <laughs> but you didn't get hurt, I guess. No, no, I didn't get hurt. Just a little muddy and dirty. Another thing I remember, and I guess I was losing teeth at the time. So I was five or six years old, I suppose. I was losing a tooth and Dean said, you know, hey, we'll tie the string around your tooth, tie the other end to this doorknob and I'll slam it. It'll come out real quick and painless. <laughs> yeah, right. I was all for it and we got it all hooked up. And right before he went to slam it, I panicked and ran the other way. And of course, when I ran away, it jerked it right out. Oh, no. <laughs> so it came out? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he knew that was going to happen, you know. I've heard that my whole life that you should tie a tooth around a doorknob and slam the door. It's crazy how universal those things are. 
Adam, I don't know if you remember last March, I went to Houston. That's where I met Chris in person. Yeah, we went to Houston and we visited the gravesite and where Dean and Tina were found. And I remember you told another story when I saw you about running away from home. Tell us that story. When I was in fourth grade, it was, you know, after shortly after his disappearance and we didn't have much information and um, had this like idea that I would hike to Texas and look for him, you know. I talked a neighbor kid into running away with me. We didn't make it at night. First night, we only made it a mile or so. And the, we were just fourth graders. We weren't prepared. You know what I mean? No water and food. And <laughs> it didn't last long. But uh, I know my mom remembered it. We were missing long enough into the night, you know, where people were worried. And that was, you know, a tough time. That was just, you know, me being a kid. It was, I don't know. You had to have some kind of deep compulsion or deep inspiration for doing it. Yeah, I mean, I did. I mean, I definitely wanted to find him and find out what happened, you know. That's really sweet. And there's like a, a purity to it. It's easy to laugh it off like, yeah, we were just kids or whatever. But, you know, to fourth grade you, I'm going to go set out. I can hike to Texas. So I'm going to go find my bro. Like, that's that's really sweet, even looking back on it now, right? I think you also showed me a really special picture a few weeks ago of you and Holly. What memories do you have of Dean and Tina after they got married and after Holly was born? Yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of that. They would come by and visit on weekends, and the picture that, that I shared with you was of, of, of me holding Holly. This is hard for you, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's okay. Well, I know how proud you are of that picture. I think you shared it with Holly, didn't you? I did. Do you remember the circumstances of when it was taken? I just remember they had come by and visited that day, and you know, I don't remember. I think it was just a weekend, you know, an average weekend. They would come by and visit. I think that particular photo, I'd have to ask my mom. I think that was right after she was born and they came to the house with her. But I'd have to have talk to my mom and see if she remembers. Yeah, she looked pretty young in that picture. I bet it was. That's the only picture I have of me holding her. I looked and looked and I finally found it because we had lost some things. You know, my mom had all the photos originally, and then luckily she gave me some of these probably 17, 18 years ago now, I guess. She had most of them, of course, because she took them. But we lost some in one of her moves. I'm sad about that because a lot of photos we did not find. Did y'all ever take home movies? No, I don't. It was only photos that we used at that time. Yeah, I mean, they had them out, but I don't think we ever had that that I remember. My family wasn't big on home movies either. You know, when you think about what we, how we record everything today, it's different. Isn't that something? It's really changed, yeah. How are you feeling now that Holly has been found? Did you ever think it would happen? I did. I mean, I actually had dreams about it even, like, but it was more like dreams of them all coming home and stuff like that, you know, through the years. There were times where, you know, of course, I thought maybe we would never find out. A lot of things go go through your head about it. I feel very relieved that we found her and happy and sad and just all emotions rolled into one, really. It's kind of hard to explain. It's mostly that she was found in good condition, you know. That's a good thing. Thank God for that. I do understand the complexity of the emotions, and I think Les and Sherry talked about that too, about their devastation that they'd never see Tina, but their joy at finding Holly. And so I can imagine you have all that swirling around, you know, about your brother. Yeah. Tell us about what you do for a living and how the case of your brother 
has impacted what you do for a living? I'm a professional mover for a living. I run, you know, mostly Midwest to Southeast each run. I've done all 48 states in the past, but I decided, you know, a lot of people see the back door of my truck a lot. You know, we're slow rollers, so a lot of cars are coming around us, and I usually stay over in the slow lane, and there's a lot of traffic coming around. And even when I'm backing in, or I've had a lot of people come up and ask about it since I put it on. I've only run two trips, unfortunately, since I did install it. You know, was thinking if there was any way that I could help impact other families, you never know who's going to see that, you know, coming around you or backing into some company to load something or you just never know. So I thought we would put it on there and and help hopefully raise money for the memorial fund that is going to help future victims. It is going to help other people. You know, we've got enough now to pay for about three cases and growing. And we should hear something any day now from the lab about the first case. They told me Thursday that they had just started the extraction process. So very good. I think it's amazing. Tell me what you know about the decision to do the Memorial Fund. How is it that you guys came up with the idea or decided to do it to help other people? I just feel that at least Dean and Tina wouldn't have died in vain. At least there will be a memory of them and that maybe that memory can help future victims. There's a lot of other families and people that are just are not identified. Their families are still looking for them. And I think it's wonderful that y'all are moving forward that way. I remember Les and Sherry talking about the same thing and similar reasons. And I think Allison, you described it as making purpose from the pain. There it was. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. Chris, like you said, making this horrible tragedy that happened to these two young people, if at least it can help a few other people, then that gives some meaning to it. And I think that's really beautiful and sweet. I know they would be proud of this. I know you've probably, I don't know, do you read the media stories or have you watched the media stories? I have read some, yes, but not all. I guess I'm wondering if you have any kind of opinion or what you really think happened. What does your gut tell you? I I think maybe they might have gotten tied up with that cult possibly. And maybe they were just trying, you know, once they found out what it was all really about, trying to escape it or something is what I kind of think might have happened. I don't know if you saw the group text I sent out a couple of days ago, but did you know about the fact that they were found across the street? from the same exact kind of church where they left Holly, the Seven-Day Adventist Church? No. Yeah, we just discovered that recently. I think one of the investigators mentioned it to me, but the way Detective Holloman told me the first day I talked to him on the phone about Holly being left at the church is he said that cult had a tendency to go to those churches because they were open on Saturdays and they could find people there to either get money or food or whatever from the cult had a known connection to Seventh-day Adventist churches, left Holly in one of those churches, and then Dean and Tina were found literally across the street from one of those churches. Wow. I just realized that last week. I didn't realize it. Is that church still there? Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that. I'm hoping that all these little threads will all eventually get tied together. Yeah, I hope so, too. It's interesting the more things that you find out, you know, it's we've been, you know, praying for answers on this for a long time. At least we have the most important things answered, which is where are they? 
Chris, I wanted to ask, what do you remember about the day you got the news about Holly and her being found and alive and well? What can you tell us about that day, what it was like to get that news, what you were feeling, what you were doing at the time, all that stuff? Oh, wow. Yeah. I won't forget that. I had uh, just finished loading a customer, pulling away from the house, and um, I got the phone call from my sister telling me that they found her, and I was just in shock. I had to, <sighs> I had to pull over, you know, for a minute and just take it all in. <laughs> But yeah, I was um, overcome. That's the kind of news that'll really stop you in your tracks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who called you? It was Debbie. She called me and told me, and I was just in shock. I had to get off to the side and just take it in. I mean, it, it took me a minute to get going. I was just like, oh, my God. Luckily, I wasn't in an area where I was I was just pulling away, you know, in the neighborhood. So I could, you know, I wasn't in an area where there was high speed or something. I'm like, holy cow. It just overwhelmed me. I was like, what? That was amazing news. Yeah, answer prayers will be kind of overwhelming. Because <laughs> after all that time, at least find out, you know, Dean and Tina and then not know about Holly, that was just crushing, you know? Yeah, it's pretty scary to wonder what happened to a vulnerable one-year-old when someone you love was murdered. Right, and then all these things run through your head and you're just like, oh my God. To find her like that is a miracle. I just feel like it's a miracle. Something else I was thinking about, you had a connection to that location in Houston. Hadn't you been there before? Yeah, I had. Unfortunately, I was I've been there several times over the years. I used to run Texas, California. There's a couple of hotels around there that I'd stayed at several times. One time I was broken down there for a three or four day period and my truck was in the shop being worked on within, I believe, two miles of the location. Oh, wow. I remember that you thought it was the Wallaceville Road area. Wow. It was really close and I didn't know it until we went there and started driving around. I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was where I stayed. Yeah. So that was kind of surreal that I was right there 10, 15 years ago in that spot. Well, one of the other things when I was looking at the thing with the church and where they were found and putting all this on a timeline is, you know, I-10 goes directly from Yuma, where Holly was left, to Daytona, where the car was returned. And that spot on Wallaceville Road, all you do is take one turn off of I-10 and go about two miles. And that's where they were left. Suddenly, it just made so much sense to me. I could never figure out about the connection to Houston because when I first called Debbie and your mom, you know, back in October, I said, you know, they were found in Houston and and they said, yeah, he went to Texas for a job. And so those details in my mind and in the mind of the law enforcement and different people just were like, oh, they moved to Houston. Well, they never moved to Houston. They moved to Louisville, which is five or six hours away. We could never figure out why they were in Houston. Until I looked at the map and saw the route from Yuma to Daytona, and it's a direct shot down I-10. Probably right about halfway, isn't it? Just a little over, like yeah. 30 minutes over halfway. But think about it. If you didn't want to have them close to Yuma or close to Daytona, you'd put them somewhere in the middle. It's the only thing that makes sense. Those people, you know, those people were known to travel that I-10 area. Something I've never been able to come up with in my own mind is... Even though Junior had crossed paths with them as a kid, you know, years before, six or seven years before he married Tina, 
How in the world in Louisville, Texas, did they run across, now I don't know if it was the same exact group, I don't know if it was Christ family that was in, in your area as a kid or whether it was a different group, but how did they run across the Christ family in Louisville, you know, or was it just a coincidence that he had been around those people when he was a kid, you know, because you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have, you didn't keep up with people and know how to reach them if they were nomads. That's always been confusing to me. I wondered about that too. I mean, I don't know if those groups, the stuff I read said, you know, they mainly stayed on the I-10 corridor, but I mean, Dallas is like, I don't know, five hours north of there. So. Well, I found a newspaper article that they were in Tulsa in October of 1980. So they could have come from Tulsa down through Dallas, I guess. Yeah, they traveled around. But what are the odds that Dean would just cross paths with them there, you know? And the other thing, do you remember as a kid whether the men that you saw always had beards? Let's see. I'm trying to think back. Let's see. Yeah. The ones I saw that I can remember, yeah, had beards or at least the startings of it if they could grow one. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because if you're wandering around, you're not stopping to shave. Well, that's always been another big thorn in my side is if they honestly were with the group for any length of time, why was Dean clean shaven when he was found? The pictures I've seen of the Christ family, and from what I understand, they all had beards. You know, they lived out on the land. They weren't sitting around shaving. So they could tell if he had a... Because somebody else told me that, and I didn't know if that was verified. So, Do you remember seeing the pastel sketches of them? Those are on the Family History Detectives website if you haven't seen them. But they're pretty accurate looking pastel sketches because their faces still were identifiable when they were found. The sketch and the autopsy, neither one mentioned a beard. I was wondering about that because I had heard that secondhand and I was wondering if it was accurate, you know. But. Yeah, I went back and reread the autopsy report a couple of weeks ago just to be sure. You know, they described every detail and there was no facial hair and that she would have put it in the sketch 100% if there'd been facial hair. Yeah, she would have. Right. Something to think about. A lot of unanswered questions. You know, I hope that as the investigators keep digging and we're going to be able to keep digging. Well, I hope so. As far as we've got so far, I mean, I feel like they are working hard. You know, I mean, I, I really do. A lot of information, I feel like in a short period. I know it took a long time to get to this point, but... The development of October 21, when we first found out about Dean and Tina until now, that's a pretty quick time frame to find out all the other things we found out. So it's amazing. It's an amazing time frame, honestly, Chris. Because I mean, I know like not a lot of people go through this and I don't know how to judge or gauge it. It doesn't, you know, even matter really. I just, but I'm just glad that we found out what we have. It helps a lot. Well, the Attorney General's cold case unit didn't officially take the case until close to the end of February. So if you think really it's February, you know, to June, it's astounding. That is astounding, yeah. I didn't think of it like that. Of course, the Louisville PD did a lot of hard work on it. It's not been a real active murder investigation, really, until they found Holly. So they're um, cranking at it as far as I'm concerned. I think they're doing an amazing job. I feel the same way. I can't say enough good things about them. I mean, it's before being in this position, I never would have known how much information, you know, would help a family. So cutting to current day, we've talked to a couple other family members in previous episodes just to set this up, but 
so now that you are aware of Holly being alive and well, and you've had, I assume, some communication with her, is that right? Yeah, I have had some communication. So what, if anything, can you describe what, if any kind of relationship you've been able to build with her these past couple months? I mean, not, we haven't connected a lot in the past couple of months because I've only been texting her just once in a while. Like I was trying not, I know it's a lot to take in at once and I was trying not to, you know, infringe too quickly. And she, it's got to be really, I'm thinking in my head, like if it's that hard for me, it must be really hard for her. And she has a big family also that she's taken care of. And now all of a sudden she finds out she has this other, like, you know, kind of big family. So, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to meet her. And I have, you know, been talking with her on text. I haven't spoken with her on the phone yet. And of course we have done the Zoom meetings. I definitely wanted to do more, but I want to, you know, I really just can't wait to meet her in person and talk person to person. I mean, that's going to be really amazing. I'm sure it's a delicate balance to walk until then. Like, I feel like Les and Sherry mentioned similar kind of feelings of like, we're just so excited, but we're trying to be restrained because this is a lot for everybody. It is. It's a lot of mixed emotions, you know? Well, November will be here before you know it. Adam and I were just saying today that fall is here. We're so excited. It's like 60 degrees and raining and it's like, oh, it's fall. Yeah. November is not going to be that far away. Things are going fast. So it is going quick. So is that when the meeting is taking place in November now? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you saying that. That's really exciting. It is. I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait. hope we can keep everybody together and everybody stays healthy and, and strong enough to get together. So the whole family on both sides just go into quarantine for <laughs> two months until November. Everybody, <laughs> yeah, exactly. everybody get your hazmat suits out. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. All it takes is for one person to fall and the whole set of dominoes goes. I hadn't thought about that. Leave it to Adam to figure that visual out. It's been amazing to talk to you. I appreciate you taking the time. Glad you had a day off today so you could call in. And I like hearing those stories, you know, about your childhood with the Dean. And it's been kind of a surreal roller coaster ride, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, it really has. Thanks for letting me share with you. Anytime you think of something else you want to share, you just let me know. We're here. And thank you for your vulnerability. I've always been impressed with the fact that you've been open about your feelings about all of this. And I think it helps your family. You know, it helps everybody to know that it's okay to be vulnerable and feel those feelings. Yeah, it is. I mean, got to let it out, right? <laughs> if this kind of work interests you and you want to help us solve a cold case, there are many agencies that need your help funding this expensive technology. I invite you to visit our website and look for our GoFundMe links to fund the kind of case that you're interested in. We also accept donations via PayPal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Family History Detectives Podcast is a production of FHD Forensics, written by Allison Peacock, with music and audio production by Adam Nury. For more information or to contact FHD Forensics, please follow us online at familyhistorydetectives.com. Thank you.